Before we jump into part three, the final part of this series, I want to make you aware of something exciting. It is the first time we've done this at Forest Park, and I'm thrilled about experiencing it with you and watching the results unfold. In January of 2022, which is just a few weeks away, we are beginning 22 days of prayer and fasting together as a church. Now, during these three weeks, we're going to be choosing something significant from which to fast. Could be food, could be coffee, could be social media, anything of value to you. And we're going to press pause on whatever it is that you choose in your life so we can focus more time and more creative energy toward prayer, meditation, reflection for the new year. We've never done this corporately as a church, and I'm looking forward to doing it as a family. We're going to be sending out daily Bible readings, video devotions each day. So we're going to help you along on this journey, kind of hold your hand, if you will, so we can learn and grow together. And what I'm looking forward to the most is that we're going to be doing it as a family. It's going to be together, just as one corporate body kind of taking the journey together. Of course, you're not required to participate. No one's going to be checking to see who's in and who's out, but we'd love to have you be a part of it. And we're going to begin on January 3rd, January 3rd. More information is going to be coming about that. In fact, if you are interested in knowing more about what it looks like, we've prepared a prayer and fasting guide for you, and it is available at the Information Center on your way out today. Preston put, the, put it together, and it's got scriptures in there. It's got kind of a history there, some questions that you might have about what it looks like and who should participate, maybe who should not, and some options for you if you choose to fast from this area or that area. Say, I have never done that before. I have no idea what you're talking about. Go by and pick up the guide. Uh, We've got a whole stack of them there, and we'd love to have you Uh, get it and uh, participate with us January 3rd. Again, more information will be coming out about it. I'll send an email out probably this coming week and we'll go from there. All right. Okay. Let's jump back into our series called the Christmas table. Last week, Preston did an excellent job walking through Luke 15, the famous story of the prodigal son. And he answered the question, if the gospel spreads a long and wide table, inviting all people to be a part, that is our theme, that's what we're talking about uh, throughout this series, then how do we reflect that same attitude toward one another? In other words, if God spreads a table for us and he ladens it with grace and goodness and mercy and kindness and forgiveness, how do we turn and do that to one another? If you were not with us last week, I highly encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, watch the message. He did a great job. If you haven't heard part one, again, it's on YouTube as well. Go to our website. There's a link there for you. All the messages are on there for free, so you can kind of catch up, because there'll probably be some things I say today that you may have questions about. I'm not really sure what that means, or I wish I'd have heard part one. Then you can check it out and catch up. Now, today, I'm going to be returning to Luke 14. That's what we did in actual, actually part one. And I'm going to pick the story up where we left off. That is rare for me. Typically, I just kind of move on to something else. But there is so much good within Luke 14 that I don't want to leave it on the floor. So I'm going to go back and jump back into the story and finish this discourse Jesus gave in Luke 14. I will just say this. I didn't think about this until at the end of the first service today. This is probably one of the most unusual Christmas messages you will ever hear, 
okay? If you came today expecting just a traditional Christmas message, the angels and shepherds and Jesus in the manger, uh, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Don't leave, but you'll be disappointed because we're not going to go in that direction. We're going to go in a little different direction, but hopefully uh, you'll walk out of here today challenged, encouraged, but also challenged. Now, let me, let me remind you, because this is important, let me remind you of the overall theme of the series. I alluded to it a moment ago when I said Preston brought part one, but I want to give a little bit more detail just in case you're joining us today for the first time and you need to know this. This is a little background. Christmas, this is our theme. Christmas, the Christmas table. Christmas spreads a table as far as the eyes can see, laden with food, drinks, and desserts, and invites everyone, no matter who you are or what you are, you are invited to enjoy it. Because of grace, because of forgiveness, because of the kindness of God, because of the mercy of God, there is a table wider than you can imagine, longer than you can imagine. And everyone is welcome to come. Because at the heart of Christmas, it is not about colored lights, pretty packages, Santa Claus, and pumpkin spice. It is rather a radical message and a profound message that sweeps across both the homeless person in the gutter and the noble person in the castle. And what is the message? Everyone is welcome because everyone is equal. Christmas leveled the playing field and said all people are welcome to come. That's what we said in part one. Preston said that in part two. And I'm going to say it again in part three today as we drive home this point. All right, let's return to Luke 14. I'm going to put all these scriptures for you on the screen so you can follow along. Or if you've got access to version, you can follow along there as well. And let's finish this series up today. Now, here's the story Jesus tells in Luke 14. And we walked through it a couple weeks ago, almost verse by verse. I mean, I literally took you and led you through this entire story. I'm not going to do that again because we're going to jump into the latter part of, of chapter 14. But I do want to read to you the story so you understand what Jesus is saying and why all, what's kind of going on here in this story. All right, Luke 14, beginning at verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to share a meal in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. A man suffering from an abnormal swelling of the body was there. Jesus asked the lawyers and Pharisees, does the law allow healing on the Sabbath or not? But they said nothing. Jesus took hold of the sick man, cured him, and let him go. He said to them, suppose your child or ox fell into a ditch on the Sabbath day. Wouldn't you immediately pull it out? But they had no response. Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him, when you host a lunch or dinner, and this is where it really starts to get tense, when you host a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you in return, and that will be your reward. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected. All right, stop right there. This sets up what happens next. We walked our way through this story a couple of weeks ago. And then you think the story ends, it kind of like he ties it up, he makes this statement, kind of puts a bow on it. Not at all. In fact, the story gets more tense. The story builds more drama, and I mean he lowers the boom in just a moment. Now, before we get into this, I want you to know the audience. 
Okay, it's important that you keep the audience in mind. To whom is Jesus speaking? Who are the people to whom Jesus is telling this story? He is speaking to religious leaders, to those who believe they are in God's favor, to those who label people in and out, blessed and cursed, sinful and holy. He is speaking to those who think they understand how God's kingdom works. He is speaking to those who know the law and what is required to please God. Keep this in mind as we move forward. Luke 14, listen to the response of one of the religious leaders in verse 15. When one of the dinner guests heard Jesus, heard Jesus what? Heard him talk about how when you throw a party, when you throw a dinner, don't invite your friends, don't invite all the well-connected people, don't invite the wealthy, instead invite the poor, the crippled, and the lame. And if you will do that, God will reward you when the just are resurrected. When one of the dinner guests heard Jesus' remarks, he said to Jesus, and I put this highlighted, happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. Now let's pause. We do not understand the significance of what this dinner guest says. In fact, if you have read this passage before, more than likely you just kind of skipped over that line. You didn't think much of it. But if you will slow down and you will read it and really process what happens after this, you will realize that what this man says somewhat irks Jesus bothers Jesus, rubs him the wrong way, and it causes him to launch into another very dramatic story. When we read this, we think that this dinner guest is basically saying something like this. I agree, Jesus, about inviting all those people, you know, into, uh, into the party, the lame, the poor, the crippled, the blind, etc. I'm just glad it'll all work out in the end. Happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. But it is a whole lot more than that. Because what this man says ignites within Jesus a response, leaving the religious elite sitting around that table blistered. Happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. Let me just kind of cut through the chase and get to the heart of what this man is saying. In essence, here's what the man is saying. When Jesus gets finished saying, invite the poor and the blind and the cripple and the lame, invite all those people to your party. In essence, the man responds by saying something like this. Well, Jesus, I'm, I'm not really sure about inviting all the riffraff of society, the poor, crippled, lame, and blind. But when the Messiah rises up and defeats God's enemies and God's kingdom comes into view, it will be so wonderful to be a part of it. We will finally really be able to stick it to those enemies of God. And we, people like me, we're going to sit down and we're going to feast in God's kingdom. Now, what's so offensive about that? What's so offensive about that? A couple things. One, this man is confident he knows what the kingdom of God is like. And two, he is confident he will be one of those people in the kingdom of God when the end of time comes and he will be feasting. He's confident he understands the kingdom, and he's confident he will be one of the people enjoying the benefits of the afterlife. Now listen to me very carefully. The more I understand the message of Jesus, the more I cringe when I hear comments like these. Church people positive about the kingdom of God, what God is like, 
and confident that they will be part of it, whatever the future looks like, they are sure that they will be there. God's kingdom is unlike what we traditionally think it is. And none of us should be so confident as to say anything close to what this man says. I'm just so glad I'll be in the kingdom when time wraps up. I'm just so glad that I'll go to heaven when I die. I'm just so glad that we will all sit down and feast at the end of the age. Listen, what I know about God's kingdom is it's upside down. What I know about God's kingdom is it's backwards. In fact, Jesus comes along and says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. How do you process that? Jesus comes along and says, we find our life through losing it, and we lose our life through finding it. What does that mean? To the religious crowd, Jesus says this in Matthew 21, 31. I assure you that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering God's kingdom ahead of you. How do you process that? Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a second, Jesus. I, I, I go to the temple. I tithe. I pray. I keep my morals up. I do all the things I'm supposed to do. I've got the Ten Commandments hanging on my wall. I go to church Sunday after Sunday. I do all the things that good moral people do. I say no to this temptation. I say to no to that temptation. I say yes to this. I say yes to that. What do you mean, I assure you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering God's kingdom ahead of me? There's no way that's possible. I'm getting into the kingdom of God before them. But when you understand God's kingdom, you realize that things are upside down. To the religious crowd, Jesus says this in Matthew 7. Now think about it. You want to talk about something harsh? You want to talk about something kind of jolting? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7. On the judgment day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and do lots of miracles in your name? And then I will tell them, I, I've never known you. Get away from me. Whoa, 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 whoa. I go to church, I, I pay my tithe, I, I, I follow the moral codes, I, I do what I'm supposed to do, I don't do other things, I say yes to the good things, I say no to the bad things, I am one of the people that ought to be in the kingdom. How does that work? So when I hear religious people exude confidence about God's kingdom and how they're going to heaven when they die, and they define what puts someone in heaven and what keeps someone out of heaven, I get a little weirded out because it's more complex than that. And God's kingdom, who's in and who's out, always surprises the most devout among us. So, I told you this is an unusual Christmas message. So, with all of that in mind, let's see how Jesus responds to this man who basically says, yes, Jesus, I can't wait till God's kingdom arrives and I am feasting with all the other blessed people of God. Jesus doesn't say, amen. Jesus doesn't say, you are so right. I can't wait to feast in God's kingdom with you too. Jesus doesn't respond to this man by saying, hey, man, give me a high five. Woo. 
Jesus doesn't respond to this man and say, yeah, it's going to be so good when we get over yonder and just all of us people washed in the blood of Christ and we're all celebrating around the throne. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Jesus replies with another story. He says, a certain man hosted a large dinner and invited many people. When it was time for the dinner to begin, he sent his servant to tell the invited guests, come, the dinner is now ready. Now, let's stop right there. Before we move any further, according to the story, who are the invited people? Who are the ones who've been invited and invited and invited to the kingdom? Who are the people originally invited to the dinner into God's kingdom? The religious people who were sitting around the dinner that day. He's saying, you guys have been invited over and over and over into the kingdom. You are the privileged people, the people to whom the gospel was easily and often proclaimed. In general, the Jewish people, God's chosen people, more specific, the religious leaders who were present, those confident in their positions. But, Jesus goes on with the story, but one by one, they all began to make excuses. The first one told him, I bought a farm and must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I bought five teams of oxen and I'm going to check on them. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married. I can't come. Now that's a good excuse. Each of these excuses is legitimate. I I want you to think about this with me. They are reasonable excuses. Nobody would be faulted For someone coming to them and saying, if they received an invitation from you, and you heard from that person, I am so sorry to decline the invitation to your dinner, but I've got important business that I've got to take care of at the same time of the party. I've got to go to the bank. I just bought some property, and I'm going to have to go check on the property and make sure all the checks are signed and everything's done and all the paperwork is taken care of. You would say, no problem. That makes sense, right? That's a good reason to decline a dinner. Or, or maybe another person would come to you and say, look, I'm going to have to take a rain check on the, uh, the dinner because I recently purchased several new vehicles and I've got to get them delivered to all of my employees before it's too late. You would say, no problem, that makes complete sense. If someone came to you and said, listen, I would love to come to your party, but we're leaving on our honeymoon the same day, what would you say? It makes sense, no problem. Those are legitimate reasons to miss a dinner. And everybody sitting around the table listening to Jesus tell the story, they feel the same way you do. Well, Jesus, that makes sense. Those are good reasons to miss a party. And Jesus has his audience exactly where he wants them. He has built tension within them, and they're all going, well, Jesus, those are good excuses. But listen to how the master of the story responds to these excuses. When he returned, the servant reported these excuses to his master, and the master of the house became angry. What? These were good excuses. They had had property they just purchased. They had vehicles they just bought. They just got married. They can't come to your party, Jesus. These are good, solid reasons. 
But yet Jesus says that the master, who's represented by, who's God, represented by the master, he's angry that these well-established business people, newly married people, can't come to the party. What's going on? Because in this story, Jesus is leveling the playing field. You got to follow me. You got to use your your brain here to kind of work through this story, really feel what Jesus is saying. He is leveling the playing field. He is saying the kingdom of God, the dinner, is for those who accept grace, the invitation to come to the dinner. And only those who accept the invitation, grace, even if you seem to have a perfectly reasonable explanation as to why you can't attend, grace And only grace is going to get you in, and there are no excuses. Listen carefully. Notice each of these excuses were legitimate, but the reasons given were reasons given by wealthy, connected, respected people who overall was winning at life, the people sitting around that table. These were the movers and shakers of society. These were the leaders among us. These were the top-tier people. Jesus reaches in and pulls excuses that these people sitting around that table would use as to not come to a party. Let me make it more clear. The, The people who have enough clout and money to purchase land, new businesses in our day and age, new oxen, uh, tractors and trucks and combines for our modern world, And those who were pursued and loved, just married. (laughs) Not only did these people use good reasons, but they thought those reasons were good enough to decline the invitation to a party. Let's be really clear. People with enough power and money and good looks to purchase new land, buy new equipment and get married, a lot of people like that, They don't have time to rub shoulders with those who have nothing better to do on Saturday evenings than to catch up on Seinfeld reruns and eat hamburger helper. Jesus is drawing a distinction between cultures. He's drawing a distinction between wealthy people and poor people. He's drawing a distinction between the well-connected and the poor, the lame, the blind, the naked. And that's the point. The problem isn't that these movers and shakers aren't busy. They are busy. They're buying businesses. They're buying tractors. They're getting married. And it's not that their excuses aren't legitimate. They are legitimate. The problem is, here it is. Here's the heart of the message. If you miss everything else and you get this, you will have got the seed of the message. It doesn't matter if you are busy and you have a lot of reasons for not showing up to the kingdom. The only way to get in is grace. And the only way to receive grace is humility, whether you're too busy or whether you have nothing to do for the fifth Friday night in a row, whether you are enjoying your honeymoon in a heart-shaped tub or you're sitting home on a Saturday night seriously toying with the idea of online dating, you ain't getting in without grace. Whether you're wealthy or poor, whether you are well-connected or lonely, Jesus says all of us have to humble ourselves down and receive grace just like anybody else, whether you're rich are poor, well-connected, or you have no friends. He is leveling the field with this story. So what happens next in the story? 
Jesus says, well, all the well-connected and wealthy, they don't want to come to the party? Fine. Go quickly to the streets, the busy ones and the side streets, and bring in because the wealthy don't want to come. The well-connected do not want to come. They're busy buying new businesses and selling tractors and getting married, and they're all busy in the well-connected echelons of this culture. Don't worry about them. Fine. Go bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. The servant said, Master, your instructions have been followed, and there is still room. Okay, turn it up a notch. Go to the highways and back alleys and urge people to come in so that my house will be filled. And I tell you, and this is a chilling comment right here. I tell you, not one of those well-connected people, not one of those wealthy people, not one of those high uppity-up people, not one of those well-educated people, not one of those highfalutin people, not one of the religious elite people who were invited will ever taste my dinner. This is God's kingdom. Opposite of what those religious leaders sitting around that table thought it was. Can I get really, really direct with you? Say, Scott, I feel like you probably will no matter what we say. You're right. God's kingdom is not about well-connected and well-refined people. It's not. It's not about people raised in the local Baptist church who saved themselves for marriage. It's, it's, it's not about the Pentecostal kids who got saved every summer camp and who grew into adults who really love to fill the spirit and they love certain songs and specific preaching styles. It's, it's, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is not about those who always said no to drugs, never needed AA, coached Little League, played soccer, kept their legs closed and filtered their computers. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is filled with people who are self-aware enough to drop their image management and their photoshopping of their characters and say, I need grace. The kingdom of God is about those who understand how deeply their weaknesses plunge and therefore graciously beg for the gift of mercy. The kingdom of God is for those who stared at the abyss of their character long enough to realize that the only hope they have is to drink grace straight with no chasers. The kingdom of God is filled with those who have no excuses and who aren't too busy to show up to the party when God throws it. And they know that the dinner is important enough that they will cancel all of their calendar if that's what it means to receive grace and they highly value sitting around a table with other spiritual rejects and lift a glass and toast God's love that's the kingdom of God and that my friend is opposite of a whole lot of church people sitting in churches across our nation today that's the reason Jesus tells this story. Now, let me show you something else. Matthew 22. 
There's another story that's very similar to the story that is told in Luke 14. It's probably possibly the same story just told through Luke versus told through Matthew. And they have a different angle on this story because Matthew inserts a detail that Luke leaves out. And it's very cool, very interesting. Matthew 22, watch this. Then he said to his servants, this is Matthew 22. Then he said to his servants, the wedding party is prepared. Sounds like the exact same thing. The wedding party is prepared, but those who were invited weren't worthy. Now Luke says that they didn't come because they had excuses. Matthew says they didn't come because they weren't worthy to come. Very interesting. It's the same thing, just from a different angle. How is it the same thing? The original invitees, the religious leaders, didn't come because they weren't worthy, because they didn't value the party enough to change their plans and make other arrangements. The party wasn't worth the inconvenience to them. And if the party isn't worth enough to change your plans, then my friend, you aren't worth attending. So, what does Matthew say happens? Therefore, go to the roads at the edge of town. See, it's the same thing in Luke 14. And invite everyone you find to the wedding party. Then the servants went to the roads and gathered everyone they found. Watch this. Both good and evil. Notice, everybody was invited. Whether you were good or evil, you were invited. And the wedding party was full of Guests, everybody in God's kingdom's a guest. Nobody's earned the right to get there. You're all, you're, whether you're good or evil, you're a guest and you're all invited in. Everybody is a guest. Now watch this. This is the part that Matthew inserts that Luke leaves totally out. Watch this. Now when the king came in and saw the guests, he spotted a man who wasn't wearing wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? But he was speechless. Keep the audience in mind. To whom is Jesus speaking? The religious leaders. The ones who thought they were automatically included in the kingdom of God. The ones who thought because they were good, they had the liberty to make excuses as to whether or not to attend the grace party. And what is he telling them? He is telling them, listen, everybody gets in the same way. You are invited. You show up with nothing in your hand. You bow your head and receive a wedding garment, grace. That's what puts you in. That's it. There's only one requirement, a wedding garment, the closure of grace, the covering of grace. And you need to know every person at this party was there out of the sheer goodness of the master. They didn't earn the invitation. They didn't qualify for the invitation. They didn't prove themselves worthy before the invitation was sent out. All they did was show up to the party and say, I got this invite in the mail. I don't know if it was a mistake or not, but I figured I'd show up just in case it wasn't. And I heard y'all got shrimp cocktail. Is that true? And the master said, come on in. Here's a wedding garment. Put it on and sit at the table and let's enjoy the food and the celebration. No one earned the right to be there. All were covered. The good and the evil were covered in pure, concentrated grace. But there was this one guy. There's always that one guy. 
There's this one guy who's sitting at the table and he refused to put on the wedding garment. He thought he could slip in in his own clothes. We're not sure how he got in. We're not sure why he got in. We're not sure a lot of the details. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is to say, ain't nobody getting in without grace. Maybe this guy had bought a new sweater and wanted to show it off. Maybe... He kept his New Year's resolution and he went to the Y and he lost some weight and he was afraid that the bulky wedding garment wouldn't show off his new muscles. I don't know. But for some reason, he refused to put on the wedding garment and Jesus called him out. Remember the audience, the religious elite, the well-established blessed people of the community, the people everyone feels honored to invite to their posh parties. And Jesus was informing through these stories. Listen, we're going to wrap this up. Jesus was informing these religious socialites that you might show up to all your parties dressed ever how you choose. And you might impress your friends with your fur coats and your college degrees and your skin-tight party dresses and your $500 shoes. But you're not getting into God's kingdom without grace. Everyone, from the priest to the prostitute, from the chaplain to the crack addict, from the choir loft to the porn site, from the Ivy League honor student to the high school dropout, it's grace, grace, grace. Everyone gets in the party the same way. Everyone stays to the party the same way. It's grace. And when Jesus got finished with that story, is it any wonder that the religious leaders didn't eventually nail him to a tree? Because he called out their hypocrisy. He called out their, I don't need a wedding garment. I am fine the way I am. He called out their refusal to rub shoulders with the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. He called out their religious racism, their religious bigotry, their religious hatred for people who weren't like them. And Jesus says, the gospel says there is a table wider than you can imagine. The gospel says there is a table longer than you can imagine. The gospel says that there is a table filled with food and drinks and desserts, and everybody is welcome to come. The only thing we ask is that when you come in, you slip on grace. And know that you are the same as everybody else. That's the story of Christmas. Where are the shepherds? They're in there. Where are the wise men? They're in there. Where's the star? It's all there. It's all there. To us a Savior is born, a Son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Emmanuel. 
We need a Savior, and he is it. Grace, grace, grace. Let's pray. Father, we are a people who need to be reminded of your grace every single day. There's something about our nature, and especially within the culture in which we find ourselves apart, we like to draw boundaries around people. We like to put people in certain categories, and we put ourselves in other categories. And typically, we put ourselves in the categories where we are blessed, and one day we shall eat in the kingdom of God. And these people over here with these behaviors, and these people over here who live like this, they're the ones who are out. Oh, God, help us realize that Christmas is good news. It's good news to the poor shepherds. It's good news to the little girl, Mary. It's good news to the down and out, the poor and the forgotten. It's good news to those who feel as if they have no one to love them. It is good news for the rich. It's good news for the poor. It's good news for those steeped in addictions. It's good news for those who've tried to keep their nose clean and have never fallen into anything that embarrasses them publicly. It's good news to all people because all of us are equal. We all get in the same way. We all stay in the same way. Grace, abundant grace. Thank you. Thank you that we can celebrate your goodness and your mercy and your grace and your kindness all year long. And especially we do it at Christmas as the Savior of the world was born into our dark world. We thank you. We honor you. We worship you today in Jesus' name.